This is Catherine Otto. I'm here at the Transcatheter Valve Therapies meeting in Vancouver, British Columbia in June 2014. I'm here with Ted Feldman, and we wanted to have a conversation uh, for you today about the use of a mitroclip, which is a uh, new approach to mitral valve repair, about how do we select patients, and what is the use of this new technology. So, Ted, why don't you go ahead and just start out and tell us who should get a mitroclip. The answer to that question depends greatly on where you practice. So in the United States, we have FDA approval for a very specific indication for mitroclip, and that is for patients who are symptomatic with prohibitive risks for standard surgery and degenerative MR. And then, of course, the anatomy has to be suitable for mitroclip. It's probably worth uh, a short description of how we got to that indication. Uh, we initially did a randomized trial comparing mitroclip with surgery in a population of surgical candidates, obviously, with degenerative MR. And in that investigation, we found that surgery was better at reducing the severity of mitral regurge, that clinical outcomes from both procedures were similar and that both procedures resulted in favorable left ventricular remodeling. A subgroup analysis showed us that the patients who got the closest results with mitroclip compared to surgery were older, those with poor left ventricular function, and those with functional rather than degenerative MR. We have some registry data on very high-risk patients, sicker than even in the partner trial, uh, with an STS in our uh, high-risk registry mean society for thoracic surgery risk score of uh, 13 or 14 percent, which is a very high-risk group. Uh, data in that group that show that for both degenerative and functional MR, we can achieve significant reductions in rehospitalization rates, also achieve favorable left ventricular remodeling. This has all led us to this FDA approval for high-risk degenerative MR. The group of patients that probably are much larger and that we're all interested in are those with functional MR due to either ischemic cardiomyopathy or uh, idiopathic cardiomyopathy. That's a tougher group. Surgery is not indicated as a primary therapy for that group currently in any of our guidelines, U.S. or European. And that's because we've never really seen repair surgery tested against medical therapy. And we also know that this group of patients doesn't always do so well with surgery. Recurrence rates for MR are in the 30% in one year range. Uh, and we have a lot of registry data on surgery that fails to show improvements in survival. So on that background, we're engaged in a randomized comparison of mitroclip with medical therapy for heart failure in this functional MR population. Now, all that said, that, that's the U.S. landscape. All that said, internationally, mitroclip has had CE mark approval since 2008. Uh, everybody who's involved with the therapy has really remarkable experience with the uh, symptomatic improvements in elderly high-risk patients. 
And we've seen now uh, many single-center, multi-center, and national uh, registries from all over Europe that reflect these really pretty good outcomes in a population that's never had a therapy before. So internationally, the distinction between functional and degenerative MR has been less important, and the candidates for this therapy are the elderly and the higher risk for surgery. Yeah, I think those are very good comments. I mean, we certainly have patients with um, coronary disease or cardiomyopathy who we treat their heart failure, we treat their coronary disease, and they still have significant mitral regurgitation limiting their life. And I think it's actually very exciting that, that um, as internationally, we have the opportunity to provide these patients with, with a therapy that seems to be quite effective. The other issue for the primary cardiologist seeing patients like this is, first of all, you know, if the patient has significant regurgitation, you know, um, how do they decide if they could have a um, mitral clip or not? I mean, I have to say, I find as an echocardiographer, it's a fairly sophisticated kind of analysis. I mean, I think it's pretty technically watching at this meeting how the interventionalists are able to, you know, clip the valve and get the leaflets in the right places is really quite amazing and a wonderful technological advance. So how do you decide that a patient is going to be able to have the procedure? Well, you, you are absolutely defining the limitation, biggest limitation of the therapy, and that is in figuring out who the right patient population is. So uh, there are several ways to come at this. One is looking at the ideal patient. So a patient who has mitral regurge from whatever etiology where the jet origin on a short-axis transthoracic echo is very central is likely to be a good candidate. For degenerative MR, the octogenarian with a popped cord and isolated P2 prolapse is a great candidate. The functional MR patients are more complicated because they have a disease of the left ventricle. So if they're ejection fraction is below 20% or their LVN systolic dimension exceeds 40 or 50 millimeters, they may not benefit from any therapy. Uh, Another common exclusion that I think uh, helps focus sort of rapidly on who may or may not be a candidate and what in my own practice is the most common exclusion in the elderly functional MR population is that when we put a clip on the leaflets, we're reducing the mitral orifice area. And in fact, in our trials, the average reduction in area is almost 40%. So if somebody starts out with uh, mitral annular calcification and a little bit of mitral stenosis, they may end up with a lot of mitral stenosis if we apply a mitral clip. Uh, So a valve area over four square centimeters defines somebody who can get a clip. Uh, An area under three centimeters defines someone who probably shouldn't even be considered. So that's another sort of gross cut. But to your point, a severe MR patient with a lot of symptoms for whom surgery is not being discussed is where the evaluation starts. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk at this meeting about the heart valve team, and I think, you know, these patients are ones where referring them to a heart valve team is is the best approach because it is a complicated decision. Um, What does the future hold? I mean, mitroclips, you know, one way of 
treating patients with a transcatheter non-surgical approach. What do we have to look forward in the next few years? Uh, Quite a lot, really. There are several other technologies that are in development. To give a sense of scope to that point, uh, to date, about 14,000 patients have been treated with MitraClip. The next most frequently used technology in humans is a coronary sinus annuloplasty device, the Carillon, which has been implanted now in about 300 patients. And interestingly, this device has had CE mark for some time as well. This is implanted via a transjugular approach, and it's a spring-like wire form device that goes in the coronary sinus and constrains the mitral annulus. Uh, Clinical results seem very similar to MitraClip, but as you note, it's at an earlier stage of development. We have several direct annuloplasty approaches uh, that have been used in anywhere between literally a handful and up to 20 to 40 total patients. So uh, a couple of these are uh, annular plication devices, the uh, mitral line system and the guided delivery system. And an additional system is a annuloplasty ring. It looks kind of like a surgical ring implanted percutaneously, the Valtec cardioband. So we're going to see all of these technologies developing, and we'll see how many of them find their way uh, into practice. Uh, Are we going to be seeing a transcatheter mitral valve like we see a transcatheter aortic valve, just put a whole valve in? Indeed, we have already seen the beginning of this era. There are literally a handful of patients who have been implanted with uh, percutaneous mitral valve replacement technologies. This is much more difficult than transcatheter aortic valve replacement because the mitral valve is bigger, it is D-shaped, and there's no calcium to anchor a prosthesis. So the initial efforts are just underway, literally a handful of patients implanted uh, over the last year or so. And uh, we're looking at a long development, but it is happening rapidly now. Great. Well, this is very exciting news for the future. Um, any other points you'd like to make for the cardiologist? One, one big one is that people hear that valve replacement is coming and figure that ought to be the answer. Why bother with these various repair approaches? And I, I think it's fair to say that it will take a while to get the bugs out of the mitral devices, since we're really not even off the ground yet. Um, and more importantly, the, the basic truism that a repair is easier for the patient to live with than a replacement is going to remain true for some time. Uh, so we will see a whole variety of approaches, which of course complicates things greatly, uh, at least for the next several years. Great. Thank you very much for your time and uh, for these very interesting comments. Great to talk to you.